Welcome to Indie Dotes, the podcast that shares the stories of independent creators. I'm your host, Susan Bond. Today on the show, I have Leah Culver. She's a software developer who's been working in the startup world for the last 12 years, both as a software developer and as a founder. And she's now on her third startup uh, and is the CTO of Breaker. Welcome to the show, Leah. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. So I read or heard somewhere that you have spent much of your career uh, in the startup world. Is that true? Yes, it's definitely true. The largest company I worked for recently was Dropbox, um, which is still sort of considered a startup. How big are and how was big was Dropbox when you worked with them? Oh, when I started, about 500 people, um, and then grew to about 2,000 when I left last year. Okay, yeah, it, but it came out of the, the startup tradition. I'm trying to right. think how long, when did Dropbox found? you know, like how long they... I Okay, I'm going to get this wrong. I want to say 2006 or 2007, but it might have been 2008. Yeah, so like I was thinking about like maybe like 10 years-ish. Right, right. So it definitely wasn't... It, it's not the same small size startup, but that's the biggest company I've ever worked for. Yeah, but and it came out of that. It came out of that tradition. So everybody right. else, though, was smaller and definitely in the startup. Right. Yeah, three people, ten people, twenty people, like that size. Yeah, most of my career has been that size of startup. You know, that's exactly what I was going to ask you. Like, what were the size of those other companies? <laughs> How many people? Because right when you're three or ten or twenty, you are just pitching in, trying to get this thing to float, right? Like right. make some traction, do something. Right. What attracted you to the startup world or did you just find yourself there? Well, I got I got into this whole field because I loved building things and making things quickly. And mm. I'm just someone where you like give me a project and I will work on it until it's done. And I will just like keep, you know, I'll just keep plugging away at something. And so that that kind of attitude is like, I think, much more helpful at a startup than a big company where, you know, you go home at the end of the day, you know, you have other interests outside of work. And for me, it actually, it's been a tough time realizing it. But for me, my work is what I kind of enjoy the most. And it's hard to say that. It's like kind of Yeah, why not... is that? Wait, why is it hard to say that it's, it, to say that? Because I think there's this view now that like work-life balance means having more of the life part of the equation. And I agree that that is valuable for people too. And for me, the side of my life equation is sort of health and fitness. Like I like to go for long walks. I like to run. Um, so I make sure to make time for those things in my day. But what I really am passionate about is programming and the work I do and building products and shipping things. Like I love to get things done. And there's no environment quite like a startup for just getting things done. Yeah, it's so true. It's funny that you say that because I guess I don't understand why it's hard to say, maybe because I'm the same way. <laughs> like, I love my work. I love what I do. I love, I love what I do. So I have a different kind of balance, right? But I wouldn't say yeah. that I have a traditional balance that we, that when we say work-life balance, what yeah. we think it looks like. Yeah, that's what I think it is. It's more that it's not what people view as the traditional, the traditional work-life balance. Yeah, I guess I'm not terribly traditional, so <laughs> I just have gone my own way in my career Yeah, and carved out my own path. And I think, like, it's not to say, I mean, there's certainly startup life can chew you up and spit you out, for sure. And Definitely. You know, I don't want to glorify 100-hour work weeks or even 70-hour work weeks as, like, that grind is what we have to do, like the whole hustle harder mentality. Right. And I definitely agree that there's a balance. Like some of my best days have been where I've been working all day long on a hard problem and I get it done and I've made a ton of progress. But some of my best days have also been taking the day off and doing something else. So in that sense, there is that balance. Right. It just might not look like what we traditionally think, nine to five. And right. I'm also really sensitive to sort of the mood I'm in. So some of my job mm. involves writing code. Some involves writing, writing, like writing essays or, you yeah. know, stuff for press or doing a podcast interview or, you know, so my days are pretty yeah. varied. And a lot of the time what I do that day um, is based on like how I'm feeling or what I think I'm going to be most productive at. Um, because I, I don't like wasting time when I'm like not in per se a writing mood. Like if I'm not in the mood to write something, yeah. it's just not going to come out right. And it's just going to be, 
you know, a struggle versus like when I wake up and I'm like, oh, I, I feel like I have so many words to express my thoughts. I'll get into a writing zone and I'll just go crazy. I love that. I do the same thing. Yeah. I think of it as like batching your tasks. I learned that when I worked for The Gap. Mm. Uh, and they teach you like to put all the t-shirts on your hand and then put them all mm. on, on your arm and then put them all on, it, on, a, on the hangers. It's really goofy. But I like like Tuesdays is the day I record my podcast. Mondays are for meetings. Oh, so great. So I, I try to do by day. Yeah. And I try to leave lots of days where I have no appointments so that I can choose my tasks based on how I feel that day. That's great. I love that. I love that schedule. I've heard of so many people where they're like, oh, I do all my meetings on this day. And I haven't quite switched to that yet. And I really want to. So that's a great, great thought. Thanks. Well, right. Especially for like context switching, right? Mm -hmm. Because I know like my partner is a software developer and when he's coding, it's just heads down, really Mm -hmm. has a hard time interacting, just really want, because he does a lot of infrastructure and architecture and stitching these things together. And I think Mm -hmm. he doesn't want to lose it out of his head. Do you know what I mean? Right, because as soon as you context switch, they say it takes like another 20 minutes to get back into what you were doing again. So that's just lost time to get back back to speed. Quite. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so fun. I love talking about people's productivity habits and how they schedule. <laughs> it's not really what the show is about, but there is a theme, a little bit yeah. of a theme in the show about that. So you've been at, you know, at startups for much of your career. And mm-hmm. today I know we want to talk about breaker. So will you just tell for for everyone who's listening what breaker is? Sure. So breaker is an iOS app for listening to podcasts and it's focused around social and discovery. So similar to other social sites, you can follow people, you can sort of see what podcasts they're listening to, you can like episodes. And then when you listen and like episodes, they get fed back to our discovery engine. So we recommend podcasts, specifically episodes to listen to based on likes and listens. So what's really fun about Breaker is you'll discover episodes that you may not otherwise, because maybe you're not subscribed to that show or you've never heard of it, but because it's been such a popular episode amongst other Breaker users, um, we'll recommend it to you. And we're exploring other ways of doing like discovery and social things with podcasts really I think our thing is we have everyone on the team loves podcasts and we want to bring that to everyone. Like we want to bring everyone really great podcasts to listen to. Well, and I love as a podcaster, what I like about Breaker is that idea of the social aspect because it can get kind of lonely. Do you know what I mean? Like how do you bring the social aspect? How do you have like help to spread the reach so people who are interested in your podcast can find it and get the information that you're sharing right so I love right. the idea that you're working on the social part of it. right and we're still super small and growing but the fun part is seeing those like likes on a podcast seeing listeners seeing comments all of that stuff is very early days and very new but I think it's super fun and we're trying to do more stuff for podcasters coming up soon. So hopefully oh, there'll be more on that side of the equation as well. But yeah. I will be watching. Um, <laughs> this is my favorite thing I've ever done. I absolutely, if I could podcast all day, well, I probably wouldn't podcast all day, but I would podcast even more. I'm thinking about starting another one. Oh, Although I have great. no idea what it is yet, but I'm like, <sighs> I want to do another one, like a five to 10 minute, maybe ask a single question to a bunch mm-hmm. of people and I'll have them answer the same question and see what they say. I love short podcasts. I think there could be way yeah. more of them. Like I, I love the hour format and that actually tends to be like a pretty popular format and actually does pretty well. But I also love really short podcasts and I like really long podcasts. So depending on what the content is, I think having like, it fit the format that works with the content. Exa- exactly. I want something sort of digestible because I listen to a lot of hour podcasts and sometimes by the end I'm like, okay, come on, come on, come on, get to that last topic. Mm-hmm. You know, like it depends on how engaging they are and all of that. I'll listen to them while I cook. Um, mm-hmm. Like this afternoon, I'm going to make my, my favorite chocolate chili and I'll put on it. It's <laughs> like an hour to, to get it all together. So I'm going to, I'll put on a podcast. But I thought, oh, it'd be nice if like five to 10 minutes I'm on the subway and I just have like, let's say 10 minutes, you know, between my stops. We'd love yeah. to, it would be great to be able to watch listen to something from start to finish and be able to just have a small snippet of time, you know. Yeah, yeah, I have a few short podcasts I subscribe to just for that purpose where I can just like listen to a short little snippet of something. Right, that's oh that's so smart. Okay. You can tell we're very excited about the podcast idea here. So I want to go back, and, and I will definitely talk more about what Breaker's doing, but I want to kind of go back and talk about the genesis of it and how it got started. 
Like, why podcasts? Because you've done other things, right? Mm -hmm. Pounce, am I saying that correct? Yeah, yeah, okay. pounds. <laughs> pounds. I guess was sort of in the, the is in the social space, but mm -hmm. you've done other things, right? Like, why podcasts? Well, I've always sort of been in the, the social space and the communication space and the media space. So Pounce was sort of an early competitor to Twitter. It was sh sending short messages to friends um, with things like videos and photos and uh, like media attached. Um, and then I did um, Convor and Grove, which were more communication platforms. So like chat type of sites. So I got in. So then after Grove, my last startup, I kind of thought I'm kind of done with startups. Um, I'm happy to just work someplace. And I, I was a little bit burnt out. I was kind of, eh. I, you know, I wanted to just work on other people's ideas for a while. Right, because there's a lot of pressure when you're working on your own and trying to make it, you know, become a thing, right? It's, it's yeah. effort. Yeah, but I also love the ideas other people have too. Like I'll hear of yeah. someone starting a project and be like, oh, I want to work on that. So I, w I just wanted to focus my energies on working on other ideas. And I didn't have any really good ideas for stuff to build. I was like, oh, if I did another project, I don't know, maybe I'd work on like like one of the ideas I always have kicking around is, oh, maybe I'll build like a web framework um, that like has like bootstrap built in, like sort of like a design element that you could use if you're not a design. And, uh, so I have like ideas like that, but nothing that I was super passionate about. And then I was training for my first marathon and I had, I'd been running for about a year, but I've been mostly listening to music like on Spotify or on my phone. Um, like my library of music, but I was kind of tired of it. I was like, I want to listen to something else. And then it's right when Serial became popular. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I listened to Serial on the Apple Podcast app. I was like, oh, this sounds interesting. And I loved it. I was like, where has this been my whole life? Why have I not been, you know, filling these blank hours when I'm running or when I'm like doing laundry or when I'm cooking, um, listening to something, you know, instead of you know, putting on music, the same songs I hear all the time. It's like I could be engaged in like a story or in learning something new or so it just really was eye opening for me. And I'm sure everyone has that moment when you listen to podcasts, like the first time you're it like clicked with you, right? When you're like, oh, this is great. I should be doing this way more often. Right. Yeah. So that moment happened um, a few years ago. And then it kind of was always in the back of my mind, like, why don't more people listen to podcasts? Why isn't this more popular? But the problem was when I finished Serial, I was like, what do I listen to now? Um, so, I, you know, I asked around from friends for recommendations, but not, my friends don't always listen to the same stuff as me. Like, they're not into the same type of, even books. Like, I have a hard time finding, you know, like-minded like people. So yeah. Yeah, so I looked at Apple's directory and I was like, what do I listen to? But they recommend like whole shows. And I was like, how do I get into a show with 200 episodes? Um, so that was really where the idea for Breaker came from. It was like, there's this awesome media form out there, a podcast, and it's not getting much attention. It's not getting much love. And there's not a lot of innovation going on in the space. Um, and so I connected with my friend, Eric Michael Zober, now Eric Berlin, mm -hmm. <laughs> who you've met. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I, I sent him a message just saying, you know, what do you think of podcasts? And he was working at SoundCloud at the time. And he said, oh, my gosh, I love podcasts. And he sent me like a page long email about everything he loved about podcasts. And what I didn't realize was he had been working at SoundCloud mostly for the podcast side of things, not the music side of things. Um, and at the time, SoundCloud was more pivoting towards music um, and sort of away from other forms of audio. They used to be more generic audio platform. And now they're mostly focused on uh, or at least their marketing efforts are focused on music. Yeah. And so he was really excited and came on board right away. Um, and we started building stuff. He actually built the first part of Breaker, which is the thing that goes out and scrapes for podcasts. We call it the Snarfer. The Snarfer. Wait, so when was this? <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. When was the Snarfer built? Like, can you locate us in time here? I want to say April of, oh my gosh, I'm losing track of time, 2016. April of 2016. Okay, got it. So about a couple of years, at this point when we're recording it, about a couple of years ago. So he builds the, what you call the Snarfer? The Snarfer. Why is it called the Snarfer? Because <laughs> it, it snarfs in podcasts. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it, it works. It's better than the Scraper, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it goes out on the web, finds podcasts and then indexes them. So we don't actually like host the audio, at least not at this point, but we go out and get all of the data. And then we have this giant library of podcasts. So that was kind of the first thing we built is this giant. We have pretty much every podcast out there. Um, we're 
you know, the ones we're missing are either new or really obscure, but we have almost every public podcast out there. So when you started working on it, Mm -hmm. he's building the Snarfer, were you just playing around with it or were you intending for it to become your next startup? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think I wasn't sure. Like, I think I pitched it to Eric as like, oh, this could be a startup. But at that time, it was a side project. We both had day jobs. So we started kind of just doing nights and weekends, like for fun, like talking about it and talking about ideas. And we actually did a lot of user research, too. So we talked to podcasters um, and we talked to podcast listeners about, you know, their experience with podcasts and just gathering data so that when we built something, we would have a better sense of what we wanted to build. And we actually built Breaker as a side project for nine months before we quit our day jobs and worked on it full time. Yeah, it's really interesting because I think there's this attitude now of like, if someone's not working on their startup full time, it's not serious. And that's not true at all. (laughs) Or not in every case, right? Yeah, well, right. And I think there's also an attitude sometimes that something can be built over a weekend and it becomes like a big thing, you know, what oh, I mean? like yeah. a hackathon or something. But I think that, you know, it can take time. So that in that nine months, you know, you built the Snarfer, you're talking, you're doing research. What else were you doing in those nine months? So we actually started building the iOS app quite soon after. I just mentioned the Snarfer because it has a fun name, but I know, I'm pretty sorry, quickly. I'm obsessed with it now. <laughs> But pretty shortly thereafter, I started working on the iOS side of things, probably within the next week or two. Oh, fast. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah. And then the first, so the iOS app at first was just sort of a list of podcasts by category, just to sort of get it working and to like work between the API backend and the front end. So it was really terrible Um, and had like just Mm -hmm. basic like tap to play the podcast kind of functionality. Um, And then my first goal as as an iOS developer and the first goal for Eric as well was to build. So he was using um, Overcast to listen to yeah. podcasts. And so the first goal was to get him off of Overcast and me off of Apple Podcasts and using both of us just using Breaker instead, like the thing we had built. So we spent a lot of time just getting that core functionality to make it a usable podcast player, probably a few months just to get it to be usable. Well, and what was in that? So if you said, I love that, that your goal is get us each off of our respective platforms and onto Breaker. It's such a great, like, tangible goal. It's so easy, yeah. Well, not easy, but (laughs) your goal. That's so easy. No, I mean, yeah, it was very clear. It was like, yeah, yeah, target to hit. So what was the functionality that you had to build in order to get you both off of that and onto Breaker? Sure. Well, we had to uh, be able to subscribe to podcasts get notified of new episodes, um, be able to play back a podcast, um, be able to skip ahead and skip back, um, sort of basic basic audio functionality and basic subscription functionality. That was the baseline. Okay, got it. So you did that in a few months. Yeah, yeah. And along the way, we came up with this concept that we still have today of the playlist, which is basically all of your new episodes as they come in, which was really nice for us because I think other podcast players at the time, you had to sort of know what you were looking for like you had to be like oh is there a new episode of this show and then you'd like drill down into that show to see if there was a new episode um so we had this idea of like well it doesn't matter what show it's from we just want to give you all of the new episodes um so that was definitely something that came pretty early on and was pretty different oh and i should also say we had liking really early because i was like i want to see what podcasts you listen to and what you like so we had like profiles and like i could see what eric was listening to and what he was liking Right, which makes sense if you want to, if you're really much about like recommendations and mm-hmm. the social aspect, the liking seems fairly important. Right, and I think when we started, I listened to maybe three podcasts, and today I listen, I subscribe to like hundreds, <laughs> which oh, is wow. way too many for one person to listen to. I don't recommend subscribing to hundreds of podcasts. Yeah, yeah, I think I listen to a few. I can't, I can't listen to very many. I think I just get overwhelmed. Right, right. But most people, just by having that variety, then you can narrow it down to like, these are the three I really listen to. Like every time an episode comes out, I'm like really excited about them. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's a really good point. So when you're, so you have this functionality, you're both off of, you know, your respective platforms and you're using Breaker. At what point did you say, let's make a run for this being our business you know what I mean like that we'll want to quit our jobs what was the what was the turning point or inflection point on that yeah that's a great question and it wasn't even then it's the next thing we did was try and get our friends and family to use it 
which mm. is an easier sell than the public at large. But I think we took the inspiration from how Paul Buhite built Gmail. He was like, let's just get a hundred people using it, you know, and, and in his case, it was like his coworkers at Google. Um, but in our case, it was like, hey, let's just get our friends and family who we know already like podcasts or are kind of into it or would are, you know, would be willing to try it. So our first users were like my sister and my brother-in-law, um, our friends, our, you know, Eric's wife, then girlfriend. Yes. Uh, so it's like just getting the people closest to us to try it and give us feedback. And we actually did that for a few months too. We'd send out, I'd send out these emails that were like, here's all the new features this month. And then people would give us feedback on those features or request things that they're like, hey, I'm missing this from my other podcast app. Um, can you add that? So about how many people was that? Um, about 200 by the time we switched oh. to sort of working on it full time. Yeah. So it was like extended. Like I didn't know everyone um, and Eric didn't know everyone because it would be like friends of friends. Yeah, and we did it through TestFlight. So if you're building an iOS app, yep. I would totally recommend using TestFlight. You can have up to, I think, 2,000, 5,000 now. They just raised the limit. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I've used TestFlight yeah. as a tester before. Like, oh, yeah, it's great, right? It's really great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you used TestFlight. You had about up to 200 people. And that time, you're just still iterating on it and thinking about it. And at that time, like when you have those 200 folks, well, at, I know they were coming at different stages, were you still sort of thinking this is just a fun side project? No, I think we were pretty serious at that point. I, I think we had in our minds, like, here's what the timeline is. And by the fall, you know, we'll be able to quit our jobs and raise some funding and um, then build it. So we applied to Y Combinator and we actually quit our jobs before we were accepted to Y Combinator. But we were actually accepted to Y Combinator. If we weren't, we would have still gone out, and raised money and done the same thing. Um, but it was like a kind of nice break was like, hey, let's. Let's go through Y Combinator at that point. It, it was actually like perfect timing for us. Yeah, it sounds like it. But it sounds like no matter, you can tell what I'm obsessed with. I'm like a dog yeah. with a bone sometimes. Like I'm really curious about what made you say we're going to go for it. Was there, what, was there data? Was there a gut feeling? What made you say no matter what, we, we, we quit our jobs, you know, like uh, before we even heard about Y Combinator, we're definitely going to go for it. What was the thing that made you each say, we're going to do this? That's a great question. I think we both from the outset were thinking that unless anything went kind of the opposite, like unless anything went super wrong, that we would eventually build it as a business. So it's not like any one thing. I mean, lots of things went right, but there wasn't any one big thing that said, no, you shouldn't be doing this. You should be focusing on other things. Does that, does that make sense? Like it does. Like, if, <laughs> like I could imagine like what would go horribly wrong would be maybe you discover an app that's already doing everything that you want to do somehow your research missed it yeah or our life situations change and we don't um, want to do a startup or you know the most common thing is founders fight and don't get along anymore and then they yeah. break up and we wanted that all to happen sort of before making that leap so those were the things to me was like make sure that nothing so in early stage startups anything can go wrong so the you know almost the absence of anything bad happening is a better sign than like one great thing happening because there are plenty of companies built where like they just take off right away in terms of users but like the founding team isn't strong or they have a bad business model or they're just a fad like the product doesn't have sustainability and so being able to test that out for 9 months before making that leap was more of the test than sort of looking for any one thing going right. Yeah, it's a different perspective. I've never really thought about it that way, but now that I'm talking about it, it's, oh yeah, that's kind of how it went. Well, it's great, right? That's a totally different perspective. I think you're the first person on my show to come with this perspective, which is what I, I love that. Yeah, well, all my other startups have failed. So I think I'm someone who's more of like looking for those signs that something's gonna go wrong than like necessarily, you know, I, I like the good things too, but. You know, I know that startups come with ups and downs. I'm fully aware of all the bad things that can happen. Yeah, I totally get that. I feel like I look at like, I just look at risks a lot. You know, mm -hmm. like okay, what could what could go, what could go wrong? I'm actually a really positive person, but I think it's because then I won't be disappointed, or I'll like I'll know mm -hmm. how to handle it. You know, or I'm like, oh, that's a sign. You know, I'm very much the same way. I'm super cautious. Like I never like to count chickens before they've hatched. I'm always like, don't say that's going to happen. You're going to jinx it. And, right. Um, and yeah. We, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think I understand that. Well, and you go back to like the idea of like people not getting along. And I think that that's totally true with any sort of 
creative project, the founders not getting along or having differing visions can absolutely cause massive problems. And I'm curious, how long did you and Eric know each other before you started working on this? How well and how well? So we didn't know each other super well. We were acquaintance friends. We had been kind of working the same job. So I was a developer advocate at Dropbox and he was kind of had the same job at SoundCloud. He was on the API team, worked on their API. So we both worked on like API teams at our respective companies and we'd run into each other at conferences and hang out and joke and have a good time. But one of the reasons I think having that nine month lead up period was good is we spent a lot of time together um, and we're able to sort of learn about each other's strengths and weaknesses. We were able to talk about like what our goals were and what we wanted from a company and spend all that time up front. Um, and you know, if it hadn't, hadn't worked out with Eric, like it would have been better to know that before, you know, we quit our jobs and, and whatever. So there are companies where people know each other for a long time beforehand, but I think there's also ways to get to know people through a project as well. Well, for sure. But I'm, I, I'm sorry. Again, I'm like, sure. but what made you email him? Oh, you know what I mean? If he was like sort yeah. of an acquaintance, like what, why, why Eric? Or did you, did you, did you talk to a few people? You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, why, I actually, him? <laughs> I ran the idea by a few friends, but Eric was one of the first people I talked to because I knew he was a really great developer. Um, I suspected he was kind of into podcasts um, and he had said to me, hey, we should work together sometime. And I remembered that. I remember him saying, hey, if you ever found another company or think of doing something, reach out to me. And that made a difference. I guess my advice for other people is like, if there's someone you really like and want to work with, like say that, like I remembered that. Um, and I would probably do that in the future. Like tell people, Hey, I want to work with you. Um, whether it's, you know, I want to work at the company you're building, or I want to just work at with you at a company that it matters. That really stuck with me. And I really, I really took that to heart. And I was like, well, Eric's a great developer. I'd love to work with Eric, you know, and he's a great person. So I was, I was really excited about it. Well, it, what also interests me is that you're both, developers versus you know or do you both consider yourselves sort of like yeah a foot in, uh, you know what I mean a foot in product or business world or do you know what I'm getting at there yeah I do and it's actually something we struggle with a little bit so when we started and it was a side project it was perfect right because it was like he's the rails developer works on the back end I'm the iOS developer I work on the front end we have these like spheres of like things that we work on um, and we work really well together right because he owned the whole back end and I owned the whole front end um, but now that it's like a business and we have more things to do, we, we, we still like to split up that work. I don't like to duplicate work. I learned that from my previous startups as well. Like yep. we both didn't go out and fundraise. Uh, we had a discussion about it and Eric ended up doing our fundraising. Um, so he pitched the, he went into investor meetings without me. Most of them um, yep. were done without me. Whereas uh, I kind of took on a lot of the product stuff, but also, like, it, it's just weird how we divide stuff up. It'll be like, oh, Leah does this thing and Eric kind of does this thing. Um, but it's usually what we like doing or what we better at. Like, Eric is way better at fundraising than I, I ever was. Because yeah. um, so, he's, he's much a people person, loves chatting with people, is able to make those connections really quickly. Um, and he's more eloquent about the business side of things. Like, he can express things about the business that I can't. Um, hmm. So those are his strengths. Like, his strengths are being able to really talk about it from – breaker from a business perspective, but he's also a really strong backend developer. So he's great at sort of like, um, I'm really terrible at ops and um, sort of like system work. Uh, I just don't enjoy it. Um, so he's really great at that. Whereas like the things I'm super passionate about are the iOS app, um, like sort of the usability of the app and sort of the functionality and like how the screens flow together, um, the wording. I'm really fussy about words. <laughs> <laughs> But that's important. I mean, I feel like that's what I, when I work with folks a lot, I, I, I want, I kind of help them figure out what's most important to them. What do they enjoy doing? Mm -hmm. um, and that, because I, I think often we think that like two developers, wait, where's a business person or the product person? But I love that you just sort of broke it up and you, it does, it sounds like you don't really care about roles. You care about the tasks that need to be done and you're just breaking right. it up by who needs who enjoys that or who might be better at it. Right, and some of the things we struggle with are like maybe neither of us is really particular fond of a certain task. And then it's like, okay, are we able to hire someone or use a service or what can we do to fill that that role? And that's where we struggle is like things that neither of us are very good at, um, more so I think than things where we overlap. Right, right. There's always that, right? That's always, it's like such a tricky 
balance to find the right person. And I think if you have enough of the right things, then figuring out the rest, you know, the places yeah. where you don't know when matches into that. Yeah. But it, again, having that long beta period where it wasn't our full-time job, it just took kind of de-stressed that whole process of figuring out, you know, what, what each person had to work on. Um, also I hate doing paperwork. So the reason Eric is the CEO of Breaker is I said, Hey, you can have the CEO title, but you have to do all the, the paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, which is great because I don't care too much about titles. So I was happy to not not have to file our taxes. <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, I mean, yeah, I don't know that I always think the CEO is the best job. I always kind of sometimes think mm. it's like a crap job depending on what you want to do. It's a mixed right. bag. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, it's good and it's bad. Like it's, you know. Uh, it's not, it's not just the glory that I think people think it might be. No, no. Oftentimes being the CEO is doing the work that no one else wants to do. Exactly. Exactly. But it's a great that you know where you want to fit and where each of you, you know, sort of fit. So I want to kind of do a little bit of a fast forward through Y Combinator. Um, Sure. Definitely we can talk about it, but I'm, I'm kind of curious about like what happens after that as well and where you're at now. So what do you think, like, when you went to Y Combinator, I guess I'm curious about where you started and landed or what you felt like you learned from that experience. Sure. And, and I agree. There's already a lot of resources out there that talk about what happens at Y Combinator and that experience. So yeah. this podcast may not necessarily be the place, best place to cover all of that. But um, the one yeah. thing that we personally focused on, so the thing that you do at Y Combinator is figure out what is the thing that you want to move between when you start and when you end? So to show that progress has been made, um, to raise money, say, hey, when we started Y Combinator, we're at this point, but now we're at this other point. And to really, I mean, that's all a startup is, right? Is getting to that next level to just sort of, if you think about it that way, it's much easier to break it down, right? So like I said, I was training for a marathon before I started Breaker. Um, I still like to run long distances. And one of the ways that you do that is you break it down into small pieces. You say, well, I've never run before in my life. I'm going to run, walk a mile. Um, And then you're like, well, now I'll do two and now I'll do three. And now, I'll, you know, and soon you work your way up to running whole marathons, but you can't just wake up and say, I'm going to run a marathon. I mean, it's sort of the same thing with startups. You don't wake up and it's instantly a success and everything works and everyone's happy and you have a team of X number of people. It just doesn't work that way. And sometimes looking back at it, it looks like that's how it happened, but not at all. So Y Combinator is all about taking you to that next step. What is the step that in three months you should get to? Um, And for us, it was really... um, user growth and traction and retention. So making sure that when users were joining Breaker that they were sticking around, that they weren't going back to their podcast app they had been used previously or didn't stop listening to podcasts altogether, that they would come back and they would listen um, listen again to more and more podcasts. So for us, that was the measure we wanted to move. Um, and we focused on that and we also were able to fundraise um, and we came out of Y Combinator with thousands of users, not just hundreds, um, oh, wow. Yeah. And lots of feedback and a path forward and funding and, and sort of then we have up until our next step, we're working on not just retention, but sort of top of funnel. How do we get new users in? How do we make this attractive to people? Um, and that, that's sort of what we're working on right now. Well, it's interesting what I love about Y Combinator that I guess I don't know if all programs are like that. I'm definitely familiar with accelerators and I have Mm -hmm. friends who are in them and have been in them and run them. But I love that idea of like, what's the thing that you want to focus on? What's the the needle that you want to move, move in particular? Yeah, like it's, I think they call it like the key metric. What's your key metric? We use, we didn't even have any tracking before we started Y Combinator and we added mixed panel tracking. We have like a a bug reporting tool um, and, you know, we've started conducting user interviews. So we have all these tools now for getting the data we need to know how is that metric doing, tracking the health of the metric, but also, you know, having some levers that we can pull to move that metric. So what would you say is the thing that maybe you got out of Y Combinator that was the most maybe surprising or, you know, that you maybe didn't expect? Oh, that's a really good question. I think what people don't know going in, so this is actually my second time doing Y Combinator, so there wasn't Mm. much surprise. Yeah, in this this (laughs) time. This time around, it wasn't as shocking. Um, This time they had this new format where they have groups now and you have kind of a group discussion and you bring up the thing that's giving you the most trouble. So 
you could say something like, I, I'm trying to think about an example from what one of the things that Breaker struggled with, but you'd have like a problem that you are working on. Um, and then everyone else of the group could kind of help you by giving you resources or advice or, you know, it was kind of, kind of a group therapy that wasn't there the previous time. So that one was new to me. Um, and I actually found it super useful because, you know, when you're working on a startup, you're like focused so hard on these problems that sometimes just getting an outside perspective is really, really helpful. Um, and why Combinator always through the lifetime of your company has open office hours that you can just sign up for and you can talk to almost anyone. We talk a lot with our group partners, like the folks that were assigned to us when we started Y Combinator. But, you know, if you need a particular resource, like if you're struggling with a design issue or you're struggling with a pricing issue or something like that, there's a particular person you can go to and, and really talk through the issues. So I guess that's my, like, I didn't realize how much of a resource they can be just for getting a sounding board. Which is so important. I feel like the mm -hmm. sounding board when you're creating anything, is just so incredibly useful. Because you're right. so, like you said, your head is so down. Sometimes we're too close to it or mm -hmm. there's just some things we haven't thought about. Right, right. And, and one of the things I still struggle with is like, I want to be making more regular office hours with my combinator, but I always forget, you know, it's like one of those things that's like, oh, we should go check in with someone just to like, it, it just kind of keeps you grounded and keeps you sort of, you know, getting another perspective from um, someone else who's been through it before. It's just so super helpful invaluable I, mm -hmm. I feel like that's very invaluable I'm always curious about so you get out of the program did you raise the amount of money that you wanted to raise like was it or do what you wanted to do in the program yeah <laughs> it I don't was... know how, you know what I mean there's like <laughs> lots of metrics like I don't know I don't even know what your metrics are of like what was successful for each of you individually do you know what I mean right right for myself this is the farthest long I've gotten in a company and sort of like traditional venture capital stages. Like I've never really raised the successful large seed round before. Um, yeah. And we were lucky enough that, you know, once you have a few investors in, it's a little bit easier to get more and more. And now we kind of have this, we've had this slow trickle of people kind of coming in as like friends. It's been interesting to see the whole process firsthand as opposed to my previous startups. I struggled to even get one investor interested because I, I just wasn't good at it and I didn't like doing it. Like I didn't like meeting with investors. I didn't like asking for money. Um, I didn't like I didn't like having to think about anything other than just building what I wanted to build, you know? Um, yeah, it seems like you love the yeah, you love the product. You love the creation part of it seems like that really captures your attention. Yeah. And that's what got me into start. Like I would never run a startup just to run a business. Like I would have to be passionate about what the business is doing. Um, yep. yeah, but I think that's kind of true for most people. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, 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 uh, I think that makes a lot of sense for creators. Creators like to create, mm -hmm. uh, you know what I mean? Like that sounds dumb, but it's like, yeah, that. like I would do this if I didn't need money to live, I would just do this for free. <laughs> like, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like, I wonder, like, how does it feel afterwards? Do you feel tired? Do you feel relieved? Is it like, now what? Like, you know what I mean? I just wonder, I feel like there'd be such a myriad of emotions if I went through a program like that. You know, or, yeah. and did, or did you come out of it with a, also with a clear path about what to do, go forward with Breaker? While we were in Y Combinator, we figured out sort of what we wanted to do, like how many people we wanted to hire, sort of what our next milestones were. We kind of always have those things kind of mapped out. And when we, when those things, when we sort of reach those milestones or, you know, when we're looking towards the next step, we kind of remap it out again. So we always kind of have something that we're working towards. Um, so that wasn't so much the struggle, but I think there definitely was a feeling of losing that, like you're spending so much time in that community um, and it's such an intense process um, that when those intense constri constraints aren't there, when you're not, you know, going to the Y Combinator office several times a week, it's like, oh, well, now we have all this free time to do other things. But what are those other things? Um, and we were I, I feel like a third startup, we had a pretty good sense of what we wanted to be doing. So it wasn't as as crushing as it could have been, but it definitely is a change for sure. But we had just gone through a change three months earlier and quitting like our day jobs. I went from working at a company with 2000 people to, right. you know, there was a period of adjustment just sitting alone in my living room, like doing my work. We didn't have an office or anything. I just was like getting stuff. And I was like, this is so weird. I feel like it's weekend every day, you know, cause I'd been working 
sort of mostly weekends. I say nights and weekends, but it was mostly just the weekends. And it was basically like I had seven work days for a whole year. And suddenly I had all this time um, where it wasn't like, oh, I just have to work really hard Saturday or Sunday. It's like now I have every day. And what do I do with that long stretch of work time? And then going through Y Combinator, I, I would say I only really had a month of that. And then we started Y Combinator and then Y Combinator was over and it went back to those long stretches of, you know, just working, um, which is actually pretty nice. And then now we have an office and employees. And so it's a little different now. But had you done that before working on your other startups, you know, that sense of like long stretches of time in your living room, but mm-hmm. you know, maybe working on this, had you had that experience before? Yes, but it had been several years. It had been a while Got since it. I had had that. I had been working at companies going into an office for the past few years. So it definitely was a change of pace. But then I remembered, I was like, oh yeah, this is what it's like. I worked as a contractor for a year too. So it's like, oh, this is what it was like being a contractor, <laughs> you know, so. Right, yeah. So yeah. for you, it wasn't like so much that it was all brand new, but in some ways it was going back to things that you had done before. Ways You're right. behaving, right? It's sort of right, and it, like. it did almost feel like a step back in a sense too, right? So I had gone from working at these tiny startups to working at a big company where, you know, I had an office to go to every day, but I also had, you know, free lunch and transport to work and all these perks and, you know, was paid a good salary to going back to, okay, now I make no money again. And, you know, I have to, I did really feel this like step back at the same time that I felt like as a company breaker was taking a step forward. Okay. I want to, I just want to pause on that because I think that is like such an interesting juxtaposition right you know that you're that the company's taking a step forward and yet it mm-hmm. might feel like a step back like how strong mm-hmm. was that feeling of a step back and was it something that you had to deal with you know what I mean like was it really strong that feeling yes and it was good and bad right I felt sort of mm-hmm. like I was getting back to what I was passionate about which is building things like I was so happy to be working on something a company that I was so happy about. Like I loved the product breaker. I loved the company. I loved what we were building. Um, so that part of it was really exciting. Um, but at the same time, it was like I had done all these other things in my life. Like I had paid off my debt and I was happy to be earning a normal salary and going to work at certain times. You know, like I felt yeah. like there's this whole area of adulthood that I had yeah. achieved. <laughs> I had achieved adulthood. And then I was like, uh, actually what's funniest and I'll tell you this story because this is what really solidified it in my mind is I was, I was working at Breaker or I was working at Dropbox. I was working on Breaker on the side and my parents came out to visit and they came out to help me buy new bedroom furniture. I was like, I'm an adult. I need new bedroom furniture. I've been using the Ikea stuff that I've had since I was in college. It's falling apart. It's terrible. Right. And they came out and I went with my mom to a bunch of furniture stores because she has excellent taste in furniture. So I was like, oh, she'll help me get this great furniture. And we found like a perfect bedroom set. I loved it and I couldn't buy it. And she's Hmm. like, why can't you buy it? And I'm like, I want the money. I want the money so I can build my startup. I want to be able to quit my job and work on my startup. I don't want to buy it. And that for me was this turning point. It was like, I don't want this life. I want this other life. Um, So it was hard, but it was, I think it was worth it. So I don't. I still have my IKEA bedroom furniture. <laughs> I love <laughs> and it's falling that story. apart. Yeah, I love that story though. Like that. That you're like. Were you? I just. I, I'm like picturing you in the like laying on the bed or like near it. Were you like in the store when you realized it was at like? Yes. Later? No. It was in Crate and Barrel. I was like, <laughs> oh, I love this uh, bed frame because we've been looking for a headboard that I'd like yep. for a long time, and I was like, I love this headboard, but mom, I don't think I can buy a headboard. And and I, I I just love that that story because it's about the choices that we make, right? When right. we really want to follow a project, or we want to go off and do build something that of ours, right? That we mm-hmm. build, we want to take that risk, and um, you know it can mean you know it means making those choices. I, I mean, was it very was it a very expensive headboard? No, <laughs> no, but it, it was that, it was a symbol, right? I was gonna say I was like it was more symbolic of oh, I know where my priorities are. Right, right. And it, I mean, it was, a, you know, I was thinking, oh, this is another week where I don't have to get a job. You know, like this pay is for my living expenses of, a, right. you know, it's that small. It was just that, yeah, it was that tiny decision, but it kind of made up my mind of like, 
I, you know, I have been gradually dialing back my expenses in anticipation of doing another startup. And that for me was the point where I really realized how much I had done that. Right. Like that wasn't the first thing I dialed back, but it definitely was like a, a line in the sand kind of thing was, OK, this is I do want to do this. And how far along do you remember how far along into building Breaker were you? It was before I quit my full time job. So I would say maybe a few months in both me and Eric okay. were using the product. We had a few friends using it. But I was just so excited about it. And I thought, hey, this could really be a startup. And if so, like, I got to start working now to make it happen. We, we, uh, I was speaking with Lynn Tai. We interviewed her on Key Values. And she had mm -hmm. a similar kind of experience, which was, well, do I want to buy new clothes or do I want to, like, save some money so I can go out on my own? Mm -hmm. Right? And so I think that's, like, such an interesting, like, when you're really committed to something and there's just, that's an inflection point of, you know, like, this is it. I want to go do this. I'm, I'm. I'm committed. Yeah, sometimes it's really that simple. Money is just a measure of value, right? What you spend your money on is what you value. Um, and for me, it was the shift in priorities. Like I didn't value, you know, the trappings of an adult life. And I, even oh, I should probably still get better furniture, but having good furniture <laughs> as, as opposed to, you know, being able to work on something that I really cared about. Well, and it's interesting that you bring up adult, too, because it's like, what do we think is adult? Adult mm -hmm. might be buying new furniture, but being adult also might be going after something we really love and putting the money towards our future, mm -hmm. a career or a business that we're building. Mm -hmm. I, I think yeah. that's also an equally adult decision. Right, right. And I think one of the most freeing things about being an adult is being able to make those choices. If you have the luxury to sort of make this. I mean, I've always... I've always realized how very, very lucky and privileged I am for my background and how I was able to, you know, there's no way I would be able to do startups and be able to do what I'm doing if it wasn't, you know, for my family um, and for my background and sort of having the freedom to yeah. do those things. Yeah. 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 I love that we're, we're talking about adulting. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't talked about that on my podcast yet, but I love it because it is, comes down to decisions because you know, really not the only difference, but I think one of the differences between folks who are, let's say, get somewhere with their project, I won't say successful because there's, mm -hmm. who, what does success mean even? But people who, are, who get somewhere with their project and people who don't are just a series of all the decisions that we make, mm -hmm. right? About, not only about the product and the app and what it's gonna be and all that, but also the decisions we make in our personal life about bedroom furniture or clothes or not. Mm-hmm. I want to kind of shift us to go back to, I want to go back to like, okay, now with Breaker, where are you now? I want to talk a little bit about, okay, so we talked about you left the program and, you know, <clears throat> that whole thing. I'm curious about, do you have like a product roadmap going forward? I, I'm curious for the folks in the crowd who might be interested in like, how do you think, figure out features and where the product is, is heading? And did that shift much while you were in Y Combinator? Yeah, this is actually something that we're doing differently at Breaker than I've done in the past. We have sort of like an overall goal and a metric that we want to move. So right now it's weekly active users. Um, I say right now just because I don't think any company should ever be super set in one thing forever, but, you know, uh, be able to change and adapt to what the co company needs. Right now we're, you know, weekly active users is the thing we're focused on. And everything we do is to contribute to that number, whether it's adding new users at the top of the funnel, retaining users or resurrecting users who may have left Breaker. Um, so we decide that Eric and I kind of set that plan um, in motion. And we set that a few months ago or longer than a few months ago, but we set some targets a few months ago um, to measure that. And then the way we run product is um, on a two week basis. So we, we actually use this process that Michael Seibel recommended, um, who's a president at YC, uh, Y Combinator, um, and he wrote this blog post about how they did product process at SocialCam, which was his company after Justin TV. So it, I would totally recommend um, reading the article and hopefully we can put it in show notes. We'll put it in show notes for sure, yep. Yeah, yeah, and our article by Michael Seibel. And we do things a little differently than Michael Seibel does in his essay just because it's a different company and a slightly different process. But basically the idea is to pick a sprint of a certain number of weeks long and ours happens to be two weeks because that's 
the size of the company we're at and then how fast we want to iterate. Um, and then for those two weeks, our team kind of decides what we're going to work on. So it's a very short timeline for what features we're going to be building right now. Of course, we always have feature requests from users and things that are in the future. And we're like, yes, yes, we want to do that at some point. But we're very focused on what is the highest priority for the next two weeks. So we all suggest features. We actually go around in, in like a circle and everyone gets to suggest a feature and you keep doing that until we're kind of out of ideas or out of things that we think are worth doing in the next two weeks. So say I'll suggest a feature. I'm trying to think of a good feature that we suggested this week, but. Are they pretty small features then if you're working at, or do you not finish the iteration in two weeks? Sometimes we don't finish it in two weeks, but it's like, mm -hmm. hey, we want to start on something. I'm trying to think of one that we, that recently took a few weeks to do. So we've been doing a redesign of the app and redesigning each screen one at a time. Um, so like each two week sprint, maybe we'll do like one or two screens as a redesign, but we'll also have other features along the way too, or we'll have some backend tasks or some maintenance that works that, that needs to be done. It could be anything from like a bug feature task. Task is like a code thing or like a business thing. Like one of our things right now is we have to pay our taxes. Um, but mm -hmm. you know, it's in that like like vain, it could be a it could be a task like, hey, clean up this back end. The images on the iOS app is one of the tasks we need to like clean ah. up this week. Um, but then there's like new features. Like um, I'm trying to think of like a I'm just like totally blanking on new features. We're redoing <laughs> right right now. We're redoing our inbox, like how you send episodes to Ooh. and from people. Um, and actually, one of our iOS developers, Katie, is working on this. Um, but it's kind of making it more chat like. So you can send an episode to someone and then they can reply and you can like talk about it. Um, it's really oh, exciting. Cool. Yeah, it's an exciting feature. Maybe it'll be out by the time the podcast is out. We'll see. Fingers crossed. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, but that was, you know, that's several sprints. We started with sort of doing the back end for it, um, which was built by our engineer, Steve. And then now the front end is being built by Katie and the design was with the first thing we did. Um, and so it's been several sprints, but each sprint breaking it down into like, what can we accomplish this sprint? Um, so yeah. Smart. Well, you talked yeah. about going around in a circle and everybody yeah. votes. So how many people are you now in the company? So product planning is six people, but we have eight kind of on, on everything. Um, okay. Yeah, so, so six it, people <laughs> going so around yeah, in a circle. So, yeah, 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 okay. Well, and so you started with just the two of you, mm -hmm. and when did you start hiring other folks? Was it during Y Combinator or was it after? We brought on two two people during Y Combinator, Cassie who does our support and Katie who does our iOS app or some of our iOS stuff. Yeah. Got it. Okay, got it. And so now you're up to eight total, but six participate in this 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 product yeah. conversation. Yeah, yeah. And the really great thing about it is it brings in fresh ideas that aren't mine or Eric's. You know, it's like someone, anyone on the team who's, you know, we all work on this product every day and we all have great ideas. And so being able to, to hear from everyone is super valuable. And some of the stuff that comes up is like things that our users have requested. Like, hey, we're hearing this a lot from users. We should really work on this feature um, or this bug. You know, users on iPhone 6 are reporting this bug. So, so users are also part of that process, right? So a lot of what we bring up is, hey, we've been hearing this a lot. We should really work on this. Um, so we all suggest ideas. And then once all the ideas are suggested and written down, um, we take a pass through and we vote on their priority. So high, medium, mm -hmm. low, <laughs> it's the vote. And we do it with little note cards that we hand up, hold up. So every, we, we talk about the feature and then we say, okay, high, medium, low goes up. Uh, sometimes we all agree. Sometimes we all totally disagree. Wait, are they are they color coded? Like when you hand it, like are the low, medium, high? Are they color coded cards? Or are you just you know like raising a hand? You know what I mean? Uh, they're like little color. They're they're they have the word written on it, like high, medium, low. And I most people color code them. You don't have to color code them, um, but they'll <laughs> just like say like high, medium about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah no. I, we're pretty nerdy about it. We have colored like markers at the office that we use to make like the high medium, like they're just pieces of paper. I honestly think we have a future business idea pivoting and just making this a product for other companies. But we have these little like. <laughs> totally, that's really fascinating. Well, and I wanna also go back to what you said about, so you brought in folks, for folks who are wondering, maybe it's just them or it's, uh, you know, they're working on open source project. Well, I think one of the questions people always have is when do you bring people in? How do yeah. you know when to bring other folks in? Um, 
you know, in your case, hiring them. But how do you know when, when to do that? I think when you feel stress over a particular activity. So for me, the first person we brought into Breaker and someone I knew would kind of be the first person um, was someone to handle inbound customer or user feedback. So customer support, user feedback, what, what you, customer success, whatever you want to call it. For me, that's always my first hire. So it's always someone to, to help with that. And I think I learned that the hard way by thinking I could handle it all myself. And it's not that I couldn't do the email or couldn't talk to users. It's that it's emotionally draining. It's like very, as a founder, one of the toughest things is talking to users. It's the best thing you can do, but it's also one of the hardest, right? Because you're going to get really honest, brutally honest feedback on something that you're very passionate about is very difficult. So we brought on someone who's fantastic very early on. Um, and I still read all the feedback, but I don't personally necessarily respond to all of it. And I think that's pretty healthy. Like, I think it's good to have a healthy distance. For me, it's healthy to right. have a distance from that. You know, other people may feel differently. But for me, that's always the first person I look to hire personally. One of the other things I usually bring on early is someone to do the ops work. Like I said, someone to handle the servers and like that side of yeah. things. But since Eric already did that, that was pretty easy. But in past companies, that's been usually my first hire is either someone on the... So, so it's the things I, I have a trouble doing and cause me stress. That's the first first people I bring on. Yeah. Well, and I love that idea that it's like your test is like, is this causing me stress? Mm -hmm. um, and that as a... Because I think a lot of times we can just let stress go by forever and ever and ever and not really take a look at it and say, hang on a minute, what can I be doing differently? You know what I mean? Like, I think it's easier to say, let's work harder or whatever right. instead and of saying something else. Yeah. And it's not just that there's things that cause me stress, but like disproportionate amount of stress, ah. like something where someone else may not find it stressful at all. That thing is stressful for me. I think it's finding those pain points where I, you know, it's, and, and as a team, I think this is a good strategy for growing. It's like, where is that pain point? Where is that stress for the team? Where can we alleviate that stress by bringing on someone who, for them, that's what they love to do or that's what they're best at? Well, and it strikes me that you, you're pretty introspective. It sounds like you know yourself fairly well. Um, or maybe you are getting to know yourself, but to know yourself. I try. Right? <laughs> well, but I think it's important, right, to, to – because I think it's easy to say as a creator, I should be able to do it all, or it's just stress or whatever. But, like, that idea yeah, no. of disproportionate <laughs> – Yeah, right, I know. I mean, I agree 100%, but it's that idea of, like, disproportionate stress, right? Yes, yes. You know, like, I, I'm very, very, very good at project management. I ran a project management mm -hmm. department for an interactive agency. And I can do it. And, it, and if I do too much of it, it causes me, I can't mm -hmm. sleep. I go to bed yeah. like with checklists in my head, right? So mm -hmm. I don't do that. I do small amounts of project management in my work. And then I outsource the rest of it. I'm like, I'm actually not the right person to be doing the rest of it. Let me think strategically. But I think it's that inner knowledge and knowing that and knowing that we're not good at everything. And if it's causing disproportionate stress, we need to find somebody else to do it. That's such great knowledge that you have about yourself. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's tough to figure out, like I still struggle with what is something I could improve about myself versus what is something that, you know, I don't want to spend the time working on and want help with, you know, that's, that's such a hard line for anyone. And yeah. I still really struggle with that. Like, where can I improve versus maybe this isn't the best thing I should be working on right now. I feel like you learn it as you go along in some ways, no? Yeah. And you actually... Know? You know, this is my third startup, and it's by far the least stressful. Um, oh, just, cool! Yeah, no, it's great. Good news, people. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I didn't. I did not know that to be the case because my first two companies were so stressful for me, just like emotionally draining, exhausting. And this time around, it's. I don't want to say it's not stressful because that's not true, but it's way better. <laughs> Why do you think that is? I think it's learning, like what learning through the process, what's important and what's not, what's worth getting upset about and what's not, what's worth outsourcing to other people and what's not. And it is a process of self-discovery because that's going to be different for every person in every company. Um, but I think it is engaging in that process, right? Like this time I actively engaged in what do I need? What does the company need? And, it, and it's not perfect by any means. We still have all sorts of issues at Breaker that we're working through. 
Um, but I feel more confident in that things do work out and that it's not, you know, life or death every day. I'm going to end us on that note. It's not life or death every day. I had so much fun talking with you. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, this is great. Thank you so much for having me. This is, this show is fantastic. Thank you. Okay, how did I do? Perfect. That okay. that's pretty good. Do you want to do another one or? That one I sounds great. I, no I think problem. it's okay. I, I yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit like I edit things. I'll edit out ums and uhs and I'll make you sound good, but I also try not to make us sound too perfect. Do you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. this is not the social media perfect 
uh, podcast, so I'm okay if it's, I think that was pretty good. I'm pretty happy, um, if you're happy. Yeah, no, it's great. Okay, fantastic. Leah, I really had fun talking with you. I, you, I feel like you were really willing to go with me to places and answer my, my sometimes weird questions. I, I'm, I'm also known for like, I want to go back and po- focus on one little thing that you mm-hmm. talked about. <laughs> no, that's great. Uh, I think it's great. I think it, like I think there's going to be a lot that people are going to like in here, and mm-hmm. I think in some of the stuff we talked about at the end about like knowing yourself is really going to be interesting and knowing when to hire people. That the idea of disproportionate stress I think is really good, and also I love your idea of like the way that you do the two week. I think those are going to be really useful to people. So thank you again. I'm going to send you a follow up note. That, like that'll gather all of your information, you know, for the for the show notes and all of that. Uh, I'm usually a few weeks ahead, but I I don't you know I don't know when I'll put yours up. But if there's something you want me to put up sooner than I've contacted you, let me know. Okay. Um, and that's no no about. whatever your timeline is is totally fine. If you give me a little bit of warning, I'll be sure to like tweet and be available for that sort of stuff too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely um, let me make a note. Perfect. Well, thank you again. You were just such a blast. I'm so glad that we we had you on the show. Oh, this was fantastic. Thank you so much. All right. I will talk with you soon. Take care. Enjoy New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. Have a good day. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.